join with me uh, in a prayer uh, at this time. Father, it is at this very moment we remember 15 years ago the last tower, the North Tower, falling. And with that, for those of us who were there to remember the fear, the sadness, the horror, the confusion. Just trying to absorb that 15 years ago. And for many people, an utter loss. But Lord, You are our rock. You are our strength. And so at this moment, we want to praise You, to know that You have been the one that helped us to get up again, to help us to rise each day. Father, it is of Your mercies that we're not consumed. They are new every morning. And for the last 15 years and more, Your faithfulness has been great. So Lord, just as we remember what was done, we also want to remember what You are doing. And that You are still building within us something new. That not despite the loss and the hurts and the attacks, but through the attacks, You are building something new. And Lord, we long for and still look for today. Not when You remove us away from all that is, but when You build something new. Your resurrection that will be applied to us. And Father, as we read in Your Word, we don't look back to just one tower that's going to be rebuilt, but a whole new city that You are rebuilding. A place where all things sad become untrue and utterly replaced with all that is living and hopeful and joyous and holy and that which is of you. So Lord, we operate as a colony of that coming kingdom. And we want to usher in this time with praise and worship of the God, Lord, that you were there and you have always been there and you will be there. And we want to sing unto you at this time. If you'll join us as we sing now. The world was different that day. The economy was booming, 401ks were solid, and if asked, 8 out of 10 Americans wouldn't be able to define the word jihad. On that day, something happened that changed everything. That day was a Tuesday. For most of us, our only connection to the events of that day was what we saw on television. However, we are all connected and that we all have a place. For some of us, it's a spot on the highway. For others, it's in an office. 
or at coffee with a friend. It's the place we will never forget. The place where we watched it happen on that day. So here we are, many days later, still hurt, still angry, still trying to understand why. 1 Corinthians 13 explains that we don't see things clearly right now. In essence, we just won't be able to understand in this lifetime things like what happened on that day. However, it goes on to say that one day we will see all things clearly. But until that day comes, we have three things to embrace to help us in our reconciliation. Faith in God, unswerving hope, and love. And the greatest of the three is love. Through the shock and the horror, something else happened on that day. Although the evil intentions appeared to be a success, our country embraced the complete opposite of what was intended. Instead of division, there was unity. Instead of confusion, there was clarity. And instead of falling apart, we banded together. But then again, that's the way one nation under God will always respond. I want to invite you at this time uh, to go to this God and let's pray together before him. Um, I'm going to open up some time for you if you'd like to uh, pray a short prayer uh, here with us as a church body uh, of thanksgiving to God or perhaps a prayer um, for God's continued hand on many people that are still hurting in a lot of ways uh, from that time. I'm going to invite you to do that uh, as we're here together. It could be just say, God, thank you for the lessons that we've learned, or thank you, God, for the emergency workers that we still work on today, or, or thank you, God, for uh, those who uh, learned these lessons. And, uh, and so there's a lot of things we can thank God for. So I'm going to invite us at this time to go to God at this season and pray with him, talk to him, uh, and let's do it together as a church body. So... Bow with me, please. Father, you are our God still. And you provide resources for us to endure and deal with what has happened 15 Septembers ago. Lord, just as you are our shepherd then, you are our shepherd today, and you will be our shepherd still. And Lord, you have shepherded us for those of us who would turn to you. And Lord, I just want to thank you for all that we've learned since then to, to know that you are a rock when our government and our nation is rocked. Father, you are our peace and the strength and source of peace when there is no peace around. You are our hope when things tend to be hopeless. You are our comfort when there is nothing on this earth that would suffice. 
Father, you are the one who have worked through people, worked through leaders, who worked through circumstances. Father, you are the one. And if there is any hope for us, Lord, in the future as a country, it is still to you that we must hope in. And so, Lord, we're asked not that you take us back to days prior. But, Lord, we ask that you build something new. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the stories of emergency workers who ran into the, the towers. We thank you for the stories of courage that we heard of others who stepped up in multitude of ways. Father, we thank you for comfort that you've given to those who would post up those messages wondering if they'd seen anyone and seen their loved ones. So Lord, as a church, you are our hope, you are our strength, you are our peace. We have no other. And Lord, we just want to give a word of thanksgiving to you even now as we pray. Lord, train our heart, train our mind to look to you first thing in the morning, to look to you throughout the day, to look to you as we go to bed. Train our heart and mind to depend on you, for it is of you that we can get our strength. We pray this in your name. Amen. One of the details that was released uh, about 9-11 was concerning the air fighters, um, the ones that were uh, scrambled and set on a mission to uh, intervene any remaining air flights on that day that were still up in the air. Of course, United Flight 93 was the one that got attention as it was uh, evident that it was hijacked. Um, One of the more harrowing details that we did not know, none of us really knew at the time, was that none of those fighter jets were armed. They were set off. They were uh, used to not having a need. The Cold War had long been gone. There was a sense of peace. And so there was a uh, demilitarization that was taking place a little bit. And so these fighter jets went off to intercept any hijacked airplanes without any missiles. It was never really discussed how that would happen. It was just assumed. Um, And so one fighter pilot talked about that. He was in the southern part of our state flying over doing a mission. Was sent over uh, to fly a Mach 1 speed uh, to intercept the United Flight 93, which ultimately did crash in Pennsylvania. But at that time, as he got close, he realized he needed to go down because he ran out of gas. Another fighter pilot came in, but they all shared we had no missiles. They were looking at the real possibility of losing their life to intercept um, and to keep from targets being hit. Sometimes we may feel like life is kind of like that for us personally as we go through, and sometimes there's tasks, there's challenges, there's obstacles that's in front of us, and we feel like we're flying this thing and we're trying to deal with life, but we have no missiles. 
and we feel woefully unprepared and inadequate for the task in front of us. Perhaps maybe there is a a sense of hopelessness that you might even have now. You're discouraged. Perhaps you don't even feel like trying anymore. You're on verge of compromise on what should be done. This is often the case for those of us who may feel inadequate, woefully unprepared. We've been called to some task, and our life is what gets compromised in the doing of it. It is at this point that Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31, comes in and looms large in our hearts and minds. It's perhaps, maybe why, you probably have this verse up on a wall somewhere. Or you might have it on a coffee mug. And that's why we talk about it today. Our coffee cup sermons, we've uh, looked at Philippians 4.13 uh, last week. Uh, looked at what it meant, what it didn't mean. Uh, of course, we looked at uh, Psalm 23 and realized the, the challenges and what God was giving to us uh, in that. And so in the future, we're going to talk about Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Romans 8, verse 28, John 3.16, uh, as we continue to look at these coffee cup sermons. Uh, this text, if you read Isaiah, much of Isaiah is preparing the people for uh, well, their captivity, uh, being taken out of uh, the homeland, and God's given these consequences, these prophecies, these judgments. But in chapter 40, there is a noticeable shift that takes place in the book, uh, in, in uh, a change of tone. And it starts right from the beginning, if you're reading chapter 40, verse 1, where he says simply, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. And so from this chapter on, you start seeing these words of comfort to a people who are wondering if God has left them alone. And perhaps that's how we felt 15 years ago, and even now, perhaps as we look back on this and we ask ourselves, because we have not really had a lot of comforting things since then, Uh, it has been just one episode of war after another, but we might ask ourselves, God, are you aware? Are you uh, involved at all is some way have we been hidden from God is there any justice in this world that this continues on yes Osama bin Laden uh, uh, was found and, and executed but there are many others and we start asking God is there justice in this world I want you to read verse 27 where it says why do you say O Jacob and assert O Israel my way is hidden from the Lord and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God why do you ask that question Let me share some things with you. And as we read this together, let's stand in honor of this being God's word. As we read this together, we read silently as I uh, read aloud to you. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. A young man shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You may be seated. 
Isaiah is simply declaring that God's strength would comfort his people for the trying days that would be ahead of them. This is the same message that's coming to us, that God's strength is available to us to help us in our life. So why does God's strength comfort us? What's, I mean, it seems common sense when we think about it, but God doesn't let you depend on common sense. He breaks it down. He reveals exactly what is the comfort of His strength, and that's what's given to us in verse 28, 29, 30, 31, is why is His strength comforting? And there's at least four comforting qualities that you can see as you read through these passages. Verse 28, as we read this, it talks about His creating ability. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, it is this one who is giving us strength. And so first I would want you to understand that the comforting quality of God's strength is his creating ability. And when we look at this world around us, uh, his strength is capable of making the mountains and making the oceans and making the trees and, and all that we know. It is this strength that is available to us. I was watching a little video and it was uh, a Google map that zoomed in on this one lady laying in a, uh, a, a field of grass uh, right beside the Google plants. And, and it just expands out, of course, so you see ultimately California, United States, to the whole world. It goes on out to so you see the moon, to the universe, and the galaxies beyond. And just, it just blows your mind as, it, as you're watching and just seeing how huge space is. And then it zooms back quickly in, going all the way back to, again, you're at this uh, young lady's face laying on the grass. And then it zooms into her eye, into her pupil, pupil of the eye. And he goes all the way to the molecular level level of a human being and it just is this uh moment that you see once again from the smallest of things to the largest of things that we could ever imagine what all is existence even as we sit here and listen and it is this god who is over all these things who's created these things so expansive to let us know how large god is and that is the work of our lord And so what does it mean to to have this God that can create things that says, I'm able to help you? I remember uh, having friends that would build computers. And so I had no problems whatsoever. If I had a a computer problem, say, hey, can you help me with this computer problem? After all, you build these things. You know, that's one of the advantages of living in Raleigh. You you got folks around IBM and others that were here back then and that would create these things like, yeah, I'll come and help you. And so... If we have these resources that we go to for people who build stuff, how much more should God be the first thing that comes to our mind? Even as we look back in 15 years ago and, and, and maybe we remember praying, God, help them. Do something. I, I don't know what's going on. And even still, as we think back on these memories, we still pray the same thing. God, help. You are the one who made this world. We need you at our, our side to work in us. You know, you can take the smallest atom, atom, and you can take 25 million atoms and line them side by side on the head of a pin. God knows about the details. He knows about the details of our life. So you go to the smallest atom, to the tallest peaks, to the, the deepest abyss in the sea. And I remember David writing as a psalmist saying, even there, God, if I was to go into the depths of the sea, even there you know me. So let's know 
Let's expect, let's look for, let's count on God's strength to carry us through, to know that any temptation that comes our way, any crisis that we're dealing with, any work uh, ordeal, any issue of purity, any uh, issue of, of death and grief, uh, salvation, that God is able uh, to take care of us, to forgive us of our sins, to enable us to do what he's called us to do. There's never a task that is beyond him. There's never a problem that is beyond his ability to help you in your life to do what he's called you to do. He created you. He can do this. But we'll keep on reading. Verse 28, we see something else. This, this God, have, have you not heard? This God's made you? And let me tell you something else about this God. He does not become weary or tired. A comforting quality of God's strength is his endless supply. So, we had uh, someone take us to Golden Corral this past weekend. Golden Corral is an amazing place. <laughs> I just, you know, I've gone there all my life, but I still, every time I go, this is amazing. You know, I, I don't know anywhere else where I can get southern barbecue with a little queso and chips, a little shrimp on the sides, a little Italian here, a little and just butter beans, just, you know. You just hope they don't all mix up together. They, they need divided plates at Golden Corral. They really do. They don't have divided plates there. Um, but you, you go there and you, you eat and you kind of tell yourself, okay, I can't get that now, but I'll come back. I'll come back and get that. I'll come back and get that. And then and just in case that didn't do it, then you got the salad bar. I don't know. Uh, salad bar always ends up last. Uh, and then you've got the, the fruit and the desserts, the chocolate fountain. It's like, wow. This is like, dream world you know and I ate one plate a salad plate and I was so stuffed I was like I can't even get back and get dessert this is a crime I can't get dessert but my rest of my family made up for that uh, <laughs> eat a plate and eat something and, and uh, to get another plate and it's just but it's just <laughs> It's one of those things that just is amazing. You know, when we take children from Belarus and take them there, they just blows their mind that it can be this amount of food. Um, listen, God has an endless supply of strength. There is never a need that you have where God's going to say, well, hell, you know, I just can't quite help you with that. Sometimes it's to help us do things we don't want to do, like be patient, endure, have joy in the endurance, maybe forgiveness. Maybe it's, it's, it's things we just don't want to do, but God is able to help you do those things. He has an endless supply. He, he's never tired. You know, I, I, it's an amazing thing to think that God is never fatigued with our request. It, it's not like God's saying, okay, Jared, you've already asked for that. I, that's all right, no, I've, that's too many times. You can't ask again for that. That's not how our God operates. Jesus is never tired of me coming back to Him. My presence to Him, though sinful, listen, never annoys God. Do you know how amazing that is? My family will tell you how amazing that is. I'm practiced in the arts of annoyance. God isn't annoyed with our sinful presence. 
His strength never ends in that regards. And so he is constantly willing for me to come back to him. God has what we don't have, and we always got to keep that in mind. We don't even come close to meeting the requirements of a righteous life. We might be the fittest of the fit. We might be more disciplined than anyone else. We might be the best of the moralist around, but we are never enough to meet God's standard. But his strength is more than enough to supply our lack. That is what we call Jesus Christ providing salvation for us. He bridges the gap between who God is and who we are. God is our sea of strength for us to wallow in, to soak up. So let's go to the one who has an endless supply of strength. So let's expect that. Let's know. Let's look for. Let's count on God's strength to carry us through any temptation, any crisis, any work, any challenge of death, of purity, or salvation. God is more than enough. We'll keep on reading. Notice what it says in verse 28. He's the everlasting God. He's the Lord. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He, he made you. He doesn't become tired. He doesn't become weary. His understanding is inscrutable. Interesting. His, his wisdom is unsurpassing. God's comforting quality of strength is his unsurpassing wisdom not only is it a, a boundless strength but it's wise in how it's applied i remember i had a friend of mine uh we were uh, clearing out trees that had fallen in a, in a yard and um he was extremely excited because he had gotten a new chainsaw i mean it was like christmas he got this new chainsaw i mean it looked good it wasn't dirty it was oiled up it looked sharp and he was ready to roll with it and so we were just watching him all excited just pulling and pulling and pulling and then he was just <laughs> and we're all and you know at this time we're all a bunch of guys we're all kind of chipping in and it's like okay well, have you done this and this and this you know and then one one brilliant man said have you put gas in it <laughs> and i remember him just so sheepishly walking away getting gas like oh my goodness you know it's just you got all this power you got all this these tools this strength but you don't have the wisdom to make it work it doesn't really matter how strong that chainsaw was if you don't put it all together. Here, God is saying, look at my strength. Have you considered this? Not only am I creating you, not only do I have an endless supply, but to, to go with that, I have an unsurpassing wisdom to bring the strength to work. Isaiah says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. You know, uh, you think about what the highest number that we know. You know. The numbers are infinite. I think it's Google. Some of you mathematicians might know. Uh, we, we know Google as something else now, you know. But it's originally a number. You know, above the billions and trillions and everything zillions and everything else, there's this Google. You know what numbers we have a name for? Barely even scratch the surface of how many numbers there are. Because it's infinite. I, I mean, we, we barely scratch the surface. We, we only give names to things that we can utilize in some form. But the numbers go beyond what we have a use for. Listen, God knows those numbers. He knows it all. It's amazing how we'll try to figure out what's best. We'll pretend like we know what is best. We don't even know how our actions will affect the future. But there's one who knows better than we do. 
I mean, if we struggle with grammar, we struggle with math, we struggle with science, yet we're going to say to ourselves, God, I don't like your way, I'm going to go my way. (laughs) What's your basis of authority for that? I mean, you you can't quite get Hausberg down, but now you feel in charge to tell yourself which way we go, and we'll create religions. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. But here is God saying, I have a wisdom that is available to you. In fact, the scripture says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments are true and righteous altogether. That's one of the reasons why, listen, that's why I'm preaching from the Bible. I want you to see where this is coming from. I don't really care that you know my opinions and you shouldn't care if you know my opinions because my opinions really don't matter. What is in here in the Word of God is what God has revealed to us from an inscrutable wisdom. That's why we read the Bible and we try to learn how to apply it and understand it to our life. But listen, when we read verse 28, we come to verse 29. And this is where it really comes to us. He says, have you not heard, known? Have you not heard? I'm the God who made you. I'm, I'm the creator of God. I'm the God who never grows weary, never grows tired. And I'm the God who is inscrutable in the wisdom and it's unsurpassing. But listen, I, in verse 20, I am wanting to give you strength. You see that in verse 29. He gives strength. To the weary. He gives strength to him who lacks might. He increases power. I, I really want to know who does God give strength to? Well, according to this, he gives strength to people who understand they're weary. He gives strength to those who understand that they lack might. And he gives strength to those who wait on him. Do you recognize your weariness? you understand your lack, then third, do you wait on him? We're going to talk about what that means in just a little bit. This is is why Jesus, in talking about how we relate with God, he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is being bankrupt spiritually you understand you're weary you understand you lack god sees people who know that they lack and he says i want to work with them if they will come to me and that's what jesus is teaching right there in the beatitudes that's why it says romans three twenty three. it says all have sinned i come short of the glory of god this is not the person who says god you know i've done something wrong here this is not the person who just says there's one thing here i've messed up in this is the person who understands that their lack is thorough that there is an inadequacy in all that i do when it comes to meeting god's standard it's the person who says god i cannot live a holy life on my own i cannot live a life of love on my own i can't live a a good husband's life a good wife's life i cannot be a good son a good daughter i cannot be a good parent on my own this is that one so what does he want to do he wants to give me strength 
So we look for, we count on, we depend on God's strength to carry us through any temptation, any crisis, any work, and issues of purity, and issues of death, and our salvation. We count on this one. So what does it mean to wait on God? He says, he gives strength to the weary. He, to those who lack might, he gives increases power. The youth grow weary and tired. Why? Because the youth are not learning to depend on God and think that they've got it within themselves. And yes, they grow tired and weary because that's normal. Vigorous young men will stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. You know, eagles' wingspan is like seven feet cross that's amazing wings like eagles they'll run and not get tired they'll walk and not become weary but the key in this is waiting on the lord so what does that mean waiting on god is to have fellowship with him but none of us like waiting i was reading some of the stories from 9 11 i was reading about one young uh one uh, lady a wife that was uh discovering about uh the towers uh, uh being uh uh crashed into by the airplanes on her way on on the bus uh or the subway or no, the bus to work and and she looks out the window and sees and her husband's in one of those towers and all along the way she didn't have her phone and then she's borrowing phones and the phones aren't working because they're all jammed and, and all along she's just waiting uh, to hear some word from her husband and and so it's just this the story of of how the morning went by and then the relief that we all felt when i read this story of how she finally got in touch with her husband who was alive and well and we could just sit there with the anxiety, uh, remembering those. And, and then there's the thousands of others where it did not end so well. And the waiting kept on to leaving up hope altogether because they knew there was no more waiting. We hate waiting. So let me share with you how I learned what it means to wait on God. Because I... Until this time, I just never like understood, what does this mean? Waiting on God. seems kind of abstract. I know how to wait on a bus. I know how to wait on people. How do I wait on God? The lesson I learned this in was in a waiting room. Because, <laughs> you know, God helps me with things like that. It let me know exactly what I was doing. In case I was wondering, the sign said, waiting room. And so this was... From my wife's surgery, that was about uh, almost 13 years ago. And it was a very long surgery. Um, that morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, we said goodbye to one another. Um, rolled her into um, the area for surgery. She was being operated the entire day. Um, I think it was like a 14, 15 hour surgery when it was all said and done. And all that time, I'm in the waiting room, <laughs> you know, and I'm just, they said they'd, they'd call every once in a while, get a, an update on how the surgery was going. So every time the phone rang in the waiting room, I'm jumping, you know, I think there's like two or three calls that day. Um, but every time the phone rang, it was just constant. Um, finally, I just had to go out and uh, my brother-in-law was there and we just exercised tried to do something, came back, of course, waited some more. I had a lady, your mom, Andy, came 
and shared the scripture with me from Psalm 27. It talks about those who wait on the Lord and have strength renewed. And the connection of reading that verse with what exactly what I was doing. I started asking myself, God, I, you know, I ran on strength a long time ago. Um, how, how does this apply? Those who wait on the Lord will have their strength renewed. And in that moment, I realized, up until this point, I had been waiting on a doctor. I had been waiting on surgery results. And I was pretty well frustrated and tired. And I realized the scripture doesn't say that those who wait on a doctor will have their strength renewed. Those who wait on any person, those who wait on a certain circumstance, there's no promise that your strength will be renewed. If you're waiting on a circumstance, if you're waiting on a person, you're waiting on a relationship, you're waiting on a doctor, you're waiting on your child to grow up, you're waiting on whatever, your strength is going to drain. And so I asked myself, how do I wait on the Lord? Because I want to wait on the Lord. And it was simply realizing Everything that I've been waiting on up to this point, God was in control of everything. So why am I going to wait on lesser authority and learn to wait on God who was overseeing the surgery? Waiting on God who had charge over doctors. Waiting on God who would determine ultimately the health of my wife. And when I learned that, I realized, wow, I finally have something I can wait on that will give me strength. That will not wear me down, but instead increase my hope, increase my strength, increase my patience, enable me to love, and even somehow have joy. And peace. You see, when you wait on God, there's two or three things you're doing. One, you're making room for God to work when you wait on God. You are not trying to take the bull by the horns. And when you do what you've done and you look back, you can't see God at work. All you see is your efforts. But when you learn to wait on God, you're looking to God to be in charge and you allow God, you make room for Him to work in your life, in your heart, in your mind, and in the lives of those around you. Very important to make room for God to work in your relationships. Make room for God to work in your circumstances, in your future. The second thing you're doing when you're waiting on God, you're acknowledging that God is in control. When you wait on Him, you're saying, I'm going to adjust my schedule, my agenda to God. Um, I remember growing up, um, as family, we, we would walk together, you know, doing different things. And my dad, my sister, and I all tended to walk fast. But my poor mom, all five foot two of her, just didn't have the leg length to make it happen. And so whenever we go somewhere, and we're all trucking, and we look back, and Mom's back there. So we stop. All right, Mom, catch up. Let's do it together. What are we saying? 
It's better to be with mom and be slow, but with mom, than to do this on our own. When we're waiting on the Lord, God is using his inscrutable wisdom in the timing of it, and we're trying to jump ahead and push ahead and try to make things happen, but waiting on the Lord is saying, I want God's presence with me. I want him, and so that means I've got to let him be in control. I'm yielding that. Waiting on the Lord is a way of yielding your control to God. But the third thing you're doing when you're waiting on the Lord is you're making God the object of your desire. You're making God the object of your desire. See, in that moment, I wanted so much for the surgery to be finished. I wanted my wife to be healed, to be repaired in whatever way. I wanted to go home. Uh, I wanted to have some sense of normalcy back in our life again. These are some of the things I wanted. And in that moment, I wanted more than anything else. But God was teaching me, do you want me more than what you think is normal? Do you want me more than your wife? Do you want me more than this future you envisioned for yourself? And there was no strength no promise, and the vision I had planned for myself. There was no promise. The only promise I had was from God. And so I had to learn, God, I want you more than that. And so sometimes you'll see circumstances that happen in your life where you're having to wait. You want something bad, it's not happening. Those are moments that God is designing for you to ask you, Will you make God a greater object of your desire or the secondary thing that God is in control of? So when we wait on the Lord, we are saying, God, things may come and go like I want it or not want it, but I want to wait on you. For the Israelites, it may have been that they were going to be in in captivity in Babylon and that they were going to just trust in God's timing and that they wanted God's presence more than they wanted their freedom. That's a pretty good challenge, isn't it? Do we want God more than our freedom? As a country, we may long for the day when there is no terrorism, there is no jihad, there is no uh, next... Uh, employment or deployment, there's no drone attacks, there's no ISIS, or whatever the next name will be. But God might ask us, do we want him more than that? Do we want him more than that? He is in control. And so as we read this together, we might ask ourselves, is God's strength worth waiting for? Is God's strength worth waiting for? I think Moses would say yes as he dealt with Pharaoh and the Egyptian army and he had to wait long and hard and deal with the complaints of others, but he waited to see God's power at work. I think David would say, yes, it's worth waiting for, as he saw God work, not just in the cases of the Goliaths, but the Absaloms and the others that rose against them. That Daniel would say to you, it's worth waiting on the Lord. As he was in the lion's den, realizing that God was in control of the lion's mouths, and he learned to wait on the Lord in prayer. 
And God's power was demonstrated. I think Paul and Silas would say, yes, God's strength is worth waiting for as they waited for the Lord in a prison in Philippi and they sang in joy before their God because the object of their desire was not to have a healthy body and to uh, to avoid uh, uncomfortable things or, or pain, but the object of their desire was God and that enabled them to have singing in prison that broke out and the power of an earthquake. I think Peter would say that it's worth waiting on the Lord as he saw God's hand move and allow him to escape from a jail. It is this power that Jesus used and employed to cause the blind to see, the lame to walk, the dead to live again, and sinners being saved. It is this power of God that we've waited on that we even have salvation and a hope for future If we can wait on the Lord and trust in Him to save us from our sins, can we wait on the Lord to deal with that person, to deal with that circumstance, to deal with that job, and in the process of waiting, seeing what we can learn from the Lord? So it's kind of interesting that all these verses are on our walls. I think we like the bit about our strength being renewed. We kind of overlook the bit about waiting on the Lord, don't we? But next time you see that on the walls somewhere in your house, maybe you should highlight, wait on the Lord. Because in that verse, that's the one command that God has told us to do. He'll take care of the rest. We wait on the Lord. Let's pray.